immortal words of one Rob Gronkowski, words packed with wisdom and correctness. Yo soy fiesta! I don't know if you want to go with the Gronk reference this week. I mean, you might elbow somebody in the back of the oh, Okay, but... Captain Buzzkill checking in with Andrew Callahan <laughs> here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Number 9, Penn State. Number 11, Washington. Oh, this is your <laughs> 47th edition of the Fiesta Bowl. It's going to be a great matchup. Now, right out of the gates, I'm going to tell you, we're not going to dive so much into the Fiesta Bowl this week. We're going to save that for next week's podcast. And as we get closer to kickoff, December 30th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But, you know, from my perspective, I learned a lot about the Fiesta Bowl, obviously, in the last few days. And the one thing I keep coming back to is that everyone, player, coach, or just fan, says this is the best of the New Year Six Bowls. Maybe not from a historical perspective, but just from the experience of going there. It's a really cool bowl. I've never been there. I flew through Phoenix last year on the way to the Rose Bowl when they were playing it, and you know everybody was talking about it. So, uh, I, it, it great, you know, great weather. You know what you're going to get. Um, it's a different aspect. I mean, it's not Florida. It's not Los Angeles. Although obviously the goal is to get to Los Angeles, but uh, it, it's something different. Uh, Penn State has a lot of history there as well won a national championship i mean it's just a it's such a cool you know happening that you want to be a part of so i can see penn state fans you know traveling well for this one this will be the first trip to the fiesta bowl for james franklin uh, we chatted with him on sunday night as well as chris peterson washington's head coach and in case that name rings familiar it should why do you think he thought it was the best of the bowl <laughs> i was just gonna say he told us that this is the best bowl and he's been to a lot of them of course 11 years ago Peterson's Boise State team upsets Oklahoma, one of the best games ever. Coolest game. Um, and then they beat TCU, which I think a lot of people forget about. So this will be trip number three for Peterson. Washington has not been there in some time. But it's just going to be an outstanding game. And I think the other takeaway, too, for Penn State makes a fiesta ball, what's your next headline, is that forget the old storyline that we keep going back to. And I understand it. But, you know, when you consider where this team was four or five years ago, to me, let's put that to bed. You look at any program that makes a Rose Bowl one year and a Fiesta Bowl the next, you are doing a number of things at an extremely high level. So this is a congratulations to Penn State, to Franklin, of course, all of the players who have been able to be a part of that ride. And this is just an outstanding place the program has come to, forgetting where they've arrived from. Yeah, and if you go back for No, sorry. Um, no, I mean, it, it, it's really it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Um, but no, it's it's really awesome. I mean, this is bordering on elite, and obviously you want to string together a couple of more of these, but uh, for Penn State to be in the top 10, uh, first off, back-to-back 10-win seasons for only the second time since they've uh, since since they joined the Big Ten. On top of that, you've got back-to-back, you know, you know BCS Bowls, as we call them, New Year's Six or whatnot. Uh, you know, just to be in that situation is is a credit to the staff. It's a credit to the guys that, that have developed as quickly as they have to get there. And, and especially for Penn State, playing without a very good offensive line two years in a row to get to a bowl like this. I mean, it says something about the potential of the program in my eyes. Can I just say how much I love that your voice cracked on the word developed, like as if you yourself had more developing to do? I'm 14 years old, <laughs> yes. So. All right. Well, moving on with the rundown here today, we're going to get to the next topic because it has the fastest approaching expiration date and that Saquon Barkley was not invited to New York as a Heisman finalist. Uh, then move on to Ricky Ronnie, offensive coordinator. This news broke late on Friday. Big surprise there. And then other coaching changes that were made to the staff. A couple of additional and recruiting news in your mailbag questions. One last note, though, before we get to Barkley. What do you want? Uh, other stuff that broke on a Friday. That recruiting news, crazy, but we'll yes. get to that in yeah, time. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, again, we don't want to totally ignore the Fiesta Bowl. That's 
the biggest news. It's going to be a tremendous event. Again, we're going to break it down later. A couple notes on Washington because, of course, my mind went to researching what they've done. It's another 10-2 and team. They, like Penn State, had a couple of tough conference losses. They're very well-rounded. And offensively, Jake Browning at your quarterback, Miles Gaskin is your running back, Dante Pettis, a wide receiver. That's an outstanding trio and among the best Penn State team all season, if not the best. Defensively, it all starts up front for them. I mean, they're kind of a base nickel team, very physical. They're number one in the country, too, in limiting opponents' explosiveness. So if this, you know, Penn State's had to be patient offensively all year. They've just said, we're going to play deep, play soft. I don't know if Washington's going to do that necessarily, but it's going to be equally difficult to generate big plays as it has been this season. And special teams, one last note, mentioned Dante Pettis. Nine career punt return touchdowns yeah. for this year. That is going to be a name you hear. Out of James Franklin's mouth, easily, I'd put the over-under at probably 21 and a half times in the coming weeks. Probably an easy over, too. I mean, yeah, they're, they're a team that kind of reflects Penn State. They're solid across the board. They like to, to spread the ball around. Miles Gaskin was a guy that we were discussing with Saquon Barkley two years ago. as one of those freshman impact guys. So, um, you know, it's it, it's really been fun to watch them in the last couple of years. Of course, they had the great run last season. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a great matchup. I think, I mean, we were talking earlier about top five, e- easily a top five bowl matchup across the board and you know whether or not this this team is going to stack up because they they're good up, up front vita via is a via via it can you say that one for me i got this vita via vita via big guy in the middle of that washington defensive line is going to be a problem for those guys uh you know on penn state's offensive line um so it, it's it's a fun it's an intriguing matchup it's a great bowl game and you know outside of the playoff uh here we are again outside of the playoff is as good of a matchup as you can expect okay moving on barkley this weekend i could have told you his plans were going to be going to new york because those were my plans as well. Uh, those have changed. He was not announced Monday as a finalist. There were only three. It's Bryce Love, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. I say the right call. You say? I, I, I say it's probably the right call, but it sucks. I mean, it, he wasn't winning it You know, after the last half of the season. There's no doubt about that. Um, Basically, in my mind, it's Bryce Love going to watch to see which quarterback wins it. So, you know, Barkley would have been in that boat as well. Um, you know, it, it, given the the fact that he was so dominant and such a far running away with it, sort of to a guy over the first half of the season, given that has sort of faded off into the background, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, the second half of the season where he's where he stumbled, no doubt, is obviously more important than the first. Well, I, I think it's easy to split that season up in those two halves because obviously the bye week fell right in the middle of that. Right. And then you had the opponents that everyone knew were coming up, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, that were going to be the most critical games, really arguably, of the, of the James Franklin era. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it that way, though, because you look at Northwestern and Indiana specifically, save for the kick return against Indiana, and Northwestern one big run in the second half. Those were games, given the level of competition, where he underperformed. And it's not a reflection on Barkley. Again, this all largely stems from the offensive line. He wasn't perfect, but man, this was an eight. A, if not A-plus season from Saquon. Those numbers were not Heisman-worthy. He was able to stay in the conversation because of a highlight play here or a highlight real play there. And, of course, the huge numbers he put up against the likes of Akron and Georgia State. So he was tailing off a little bit in my mind, but had done enough to stay afloat and just have his head above water. But, of course, that came crashing down when you only had one combined touchdown against Ohio State and Michigan State. Yeah, and the, the other factor that I forgot to add, I'm insanely biased when it comes to Saquon Barkley, so to not see him there kind of sucks. So, yeah. 
Sure. And one offensive touchdown, of course, at the kick return against Ohio State. But, you know, for me, it, w- it was a slow slide that then really plummeted even after Michigan State with Rutgers because right. that was just the worst game statistically, you know, offensive performance-wise in the running game uh, that we had seen from him all year. And, again, it, it's not a reflection of Barkley's season on its own. That's the thing I keep coming back to with this because it's where his production fits in in the national landscape. You know, th- these finalists were selected by how the voting played out. They said, okay, you know, name all the Heisman candidates you want. And, and there was a clear drop-off from the third most vote-getter, third highest, to the fourth. So that's why there's only three getting. And, and I think it's important because Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, who is better this year than he was a year ago when he took home this, this right. trophy, and Bryce Love were outstanding. And, of course, it's with help from teammates, but Barkley was not quite to their level. I agree with you on the first two. Bryce, Bryce Love was good over the second half of the season. He wasn't outstanding. I, I, I think that's where I keep coming back to. Barkley was obviously not himself, uh, you know, not he didn't match his first half, but I don't think Bryce Love did either. He missed a game as well. I mean, he, he averaged just, a, a, I think it was like 13 more yards a game than, than Saquon Barkley over the second half of the season. Now that's all purpose. Bryce Love doesn't catch the ball. He doesn't return kicks. so it's Which little, is huge it's, too because you, you have an inflation of those numbers just by returning a couple of kicks, even if it goes for 20 yards. Right. And as I continue on here in the name of Love, uh, let me keep going on about Bryce because he averaged 8.3 yards per carry. And you're looking at 100 yards in every single game except for one against Washington State. These are numbers not only that are just tremendous, but way over what Barkley did. And, of course, the argument for Barkley has always been the all-purpose yards. But my point is from a consistency standpoint and a productivity standpoint, Barkley only had four games where he had more than 89 rushing yards. He is a running back. I understand he he did more than just run the ball, but his primary job – in that role, he was far less productive than Bryce Love was. And last couple of games, 125 yards against Notre Dame, another 125 against USC. I mean, Bryce Love earned his spot. Yeah, and, and I don't want to cut on Bryce Love. And, you know, he did some phenomenal things behind a phenomenal offensive line. And, and I think you can parse every candidate and, and, and say, you know, this is great, but and – that, and that's – one thing about the Heisman is you're coming from so many different angles out west and you know playing in the SEC and the wide open Big 12 and all that stuff so you can you can make an argument against every candidate i just think that you know yeah. Saquon Barkley's argument against him it makes sense. It's unfortunate, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's just, you know, the production in key spots and even against lesser competition, I think, really hurt Saquon. But, you know, for him, I think handled it as well as anyone could. And he said at the outset, listen, if I don't make it, it's not a big deal to me. I have the respect to my teammates. I have the respect to my coaches. And you go back to making an argument against any one of these candidates. I think it's widely assumed this is Baker Mayfield's uh, award to lose, lest there's just some huge scandal in the next couple of days. However... <laughs> don't rule that out with Baker Mayfield. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and <laughs> again, I'm, I'm doing some that I typically don't like to do and that I'm going to address the the small, you know, uh, minority that will rage against Baker Mayfield's candidacy and the name of integrity and that line that goes along with how the Heisman Award will be winner. Because I don't like to address the angry minority because your voice does not deserve to be amplified as I address you. But let's put this to bed right now (laughs) because – the Heisman has never come down to integrity. It's a line in there, but this award has always come down to the best individual season. And I have no problem with that because right. that's who it should go to. And the Maxwell Award is for the guy who didn't win the Heisman but probably could have. And if you want to go back to the integrity part, not too long ago, Jameis Winston, amid a sexual assault scandal, won this award and, and won it pretty handily. And you want to go further back, O.J. Simpson still has his Heisman. Was not removed, was not taken from him. He still has that. He probably sold it. And when you <laughs> very well could have. So if we're going to talk about Mayfield's crotch grab, again, one that was made after Kansas players refused to shake hands at the beginning of the game, and also amid a game that is full of uh, head bashing, rib cage crushing violence. 
we're going to get mad about one small gesture that he made out of anger. We're not calling him the most mature player in the world. He did have an arrest. He copped to is a drunken, angry mishap. It's not a great look. He's also 22. And he also put together the best season of any player in the country, and there's no argument about that. He's your Heisman winner. I agree 100%. I think he's your Heisman winner, and I think you know if, if we're going to go to the character thing, it just people want to make themselves feel better about their guy that didn't win it. So yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. So uh, unfortunate for Saquon Barkley, but yeah, I see, I see Mayfield as a favorite. But man, Lamar Jackson—he's got a—he's got quite an argument. I mean, he—he he was phenomenal this year. He, you know, his team wasn't great or anything, but no, it was worse, and he was much better. Phenomenal, ba- or phenomenal football player. And I can't believe I'm going to bring this up, but he had some changes where uh, they actually put him. Uh, I believe the phrase is under center um, that actually worked out well for him. But that was Bobby Petrino preparing him for the NFL, which, you know, you're going to hear projections about, you know, oh, should Lamar Jackson move to wide receiver or a different position? And that's just because simply he's an athletic quarterback, but he has all the skills to play quarterback in the next level. I- I'm rooting for him. We've gotten so far off topic. Let's make ourselves feel better and those on the other end feel better. Shift gears here. Uh, Ricky Ronnie, new offensive coordinator. I mentioned it released late on a Friday. You know, not a whole lot of follow-up there. We were only able to speak with James about it on Sunday for the Fiesta Bowl conference call. And we, we talked about this last time we sat down. It's the obvious choice, and it was one Penn State went with. Yeah, I think it was our first the first name out of our mouths when it came out. And, and a lot of that has to do with Penn State's found a system that works. They're going to stick with it. And I think that's the right call. It's a 41 points per game call this year. So, um, you know, you're taking Joe Moorhead's adjustments and, and play calling and, and sort of feel for the offense out of it. You're giving a shot to Ricky Ronnie, and, and I think it's the way to go. I mean, looking at the candidates uh, that, that we listed last week, I mean, there was very few that, that really could fit that on the fly like Ricky Ronnie could probably do. Right. So I think it's it's worth a shot. Um, is it the sexy hire? No, definitely not. But at the same time, I mean, I, I don't see you. I think Ricky's wife would disagree with you there. Well, <laughs> they're great people, by the way. Um, but no, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that I don't think it's going to move the needle all that much. But, you know, if he can do it, he's a smart guy. He's He knows the offense as well as anybody in that building so why not give him a shot yeah it'll be interesting and i think the biggest thing to note with the whole search which was very brief is that once penn state knew it was going to stick with its system and smartly i might add that restricts your candidate pool so much and really leans it towards in-house otherwise you're looking at more head protégés or, or previous associates because they want to stick with this system you're not going to bring in someone to teach it to them so they can relate to the players and coaches who know it already better than this the new incomer right so for ronnie you know james also mentioned in addition to the familiarity with the system just the familiarity with the roster he recruited all the quarterbacks that penn state has currently the relationship Relationships he's developed with them. Of course, he coached quarterbacks for the first two years of the James Franklin era. And, and to me, the relationships, I think, is a little bit, you know, he, he mentioned Trace and Thomas Evans specifically, is a little bit short-sighted because, of course, 2018, as we all presume, Trace McSorley will be back. That's also going to be his last year. And who knows about Tommy Stevens? But ultimately, there's so much else that's also going in Ricky's favor that made him the smart choice. You know, coaching quarterbacks and tight ends. Again, knowing the system as he does, being an Ivy League guy, you know, to have other experience coaching running backs, you know, earlier in his career and just being in-house already it just there was too much to pass up for him as james has labeled as a rising star and i think you know again that's why he he went with ricky yeah continuity is just the way to go i mean just to, to break everything you said down in one word i mean just just continuing what they're going to do um they've done it well ricky ronnie has the potential to do it well we'll see what he, he does in terms of adjustments and coaching on the fly and maybe coaching from the box or from the field i mean he's up in the box right now um and, and i think that that'll really help him because He's seen the offense from from uh, you know taking a step back and relaying those things down, and I think he was Joe Moorhead's eyes up there. So having him uh, you know step in and call the plays 
I don't think it's going to be that different. You, I think you're going to see some some different elements of what he likes to do based off of what they did at Vanderbilt in the past offense. But, you know, the, this is Joe Moorhead's system. It, now it's James Franklin's system, and they're going to go with it. And that's a big question. What What is he going to do differently? I, I can't tell you what that's going to be. I'm not in Rick and Ronnie's head. I think he probably has some semblance of ideas. But none of those are going to be installed with a couple of weeks to go before their biggest game of the year. Uh, beyond that, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, he, he's a guy, again, played quarterback, you know, has, has coached tight ends recently. I don't know if that means any more involvement. But whatever tweaks are going to be made are also going to have to be tailored to this roster. And you look at the roster next year, he's stepping into a really good, solid situation. Right. Again, we mentioned McSorley is going to be coming back his third year as the starter for this program. You've got an offensive line that will have four starters returning. If it's not going to be productive, at least that's a stable group, a growing group. Two wideouts and DeAndre Tompkins, Juan Johnson should be back. And you're going to have a new tight end to break in, but he's familiar with all those guys. I mean, he's just been coaching them the last two years. So a running back of Miles Sanders should step into Saquon's shoes. He's looked terrific every time that we saw Miles right. this year. Um, Held on to the football this year, which is the biggest thing. Which was really the only thing. I mean, you know, he's got to grow in all of his different areas. But, you know, when you look at what he brings to the field that's exciting right it, it's exciting so he's got a great situation it, it's stable it's talented there's a lot to do but you know for him if, if there are any flops really in 2018 on the offensive side of the ball it'll be because of misplaced faith that James had in Ricky which we don't expect at this stage because everything else is going in his direction and, and everything that we've learned about what he's been able to do as a tight ends coach and a quarterbacks coach and what he should do down the road um, points to to positivity and, and productivity yeah in 2019 I think is going to be the year that we learn a little bit more about him as a play caller uh, having that learning curve uh, of Trace McSorley being out there telling guys where they know what to do they're not losing a ton off the offensive line um, so I think it's going to be one of those situations where next year may make him look a little bit better than he actually is and, and that's a good thing for him because he can settle into that offense he can make those calls he can learn on the fly and go with it Right. Moving on. Uh, Ricky's replacement, Tyler Bowen, a new name. I actually mentioned him to you, uh, which I knew you knew of Tyler before him, but this was months ago. We weren't kind of contemplating the inevitable move that Joe Mo was going to make. Of course, he goes to Mississippi State. Tyler Bowen was a graduate assistant at Penn State in 2014. The next two seasons, he went to Fordham. After that, this past fall, he was at Maryland as the offensive line coach. And before that, as a Terrapin, he played for James when James was the offensive coordinator at Maryland. So between all those stops, he also coached tight ends which is what he'll be doing now and I think there's great confidence you know when you obviously speak to James but other coaches in and around the building and players he's been with in what he'll be able to do for this program when James brings up a positional assistant in a press conference yes. I mean you, you got to take note of that especially a guy that they've been around before um, you know Bowen was a guy that they worked with at Fordham he was elevated to the offensive coordinator role after uh, Moorhead left for Penn State and that says something about him because he's still in his 20s I believe so um, it, it, to, to have him come in to take that job and, and and I think that makes a statement in itself to take to go from being the offensive line coach at a Big Ten East school to take a tight end coach and and you can you can debate whether that's a demotion or a step down or anything like that but to go to from, from an offensive line coach at Maryland to a tight end coach at Penn State says something about where Penn State stands in in, in the food chain in terms of the Big Ten East so um, that, that's one aspect of it Bowen is a guy that's is going to be a coordinator probably going to be a head coach at some point uh, knows the system very well and can go in there he can help those guys out and and they're going to need it I mean with with Mike Kosicki leaving um, Jonathan Hollins there obviously Nick Bowers if he gets healthy can be the starter 
starter next year, and and they got a couple of good ones coming in next uh, as freshmen next season. So they, they've got an opportunity at tight end to sort of ease him into the game. Um, you know, he can do a lot of different things. He can coach a lot of different positions on the staff, and you know, he's got that connection with Franklin, and it really paid off. What were your interactions with Tyler like in 2014? Uh, Tyler uh, is a six foot seven inch uh, shooting guard. I used to play basketball with him, and he shot threes the entire time. So uh, you know he's not he, he's not a traditional post guy. But going back to his, him on the staff, probably better for you or anyone else on that floor. Then yeah, absolutely. He's a big guy, uh, former offensive lineman at Maryland, obviously. But uh, no, Tyler was a guy that w- well respected. Um, you know he he was one of those guys. Uh, you know Penn State has had really a lot of success with their GAs going out and landing quality jobs right away. Um, you know Joe couple- Brady right now. Now the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, Joe Brady's with the Saints. Uh, uh, Ryan Smith's with with Elon to get a positional coach uh, coaching job right away. Uh, a couple of guys have gone to Fordham. Of course, Tom, Tommy Galt's up there. Andrew Jackson's up there. So that connection's there, um, along with Bowen. Um, for him to make the strides that he made to go from a GA at Penn State to an assistant at Fordham to the offensive coordinator at Fordham to the uh, offensive line coach at Maryland in, the, in a matter of three years, I mean, it says something about his career trajectory. So, uh, you know, he's, he's well-respected guy who's worked with the tight end he's worked with the offensive right. line coach he's just a smart guy that you know James Franklin really latched onto because he spent a couple of years at Maryland um, before he came to Penn State when you can get a, a couple of stints under different coaches like that I think it says something about where you're heading in this industry and, and Bowen's a really well respected guy in the coaching industry already a man who has had many stints and is now Penn State's new special teams coordinator Phil Galliano, uh, this is a little bit more lengthy of a resume to parse through. We will not do the entire thing. What's important to know is that Galliano had served as a defensive consultant, uh, was hired last spring, has been with around the team, and is now going to be stepping in as special teams coordinator. He broke in in 2000. A couple of small schools really broke through when he was coaching defensive ends and linebackers at Rutgers. He since went back to Rutgers twice. It's, it's not like, nice to, to refer to Rutgers as a small school like that. Okay. Now, <laughs> Dickinson and New Haven, uh, I think, would qualify, though. Uh, so he moves Rutgers in, in 2004. He went back to Rutgers twice more, like you know, kind of like an old ex-girlfriend is, is how I read this resume. Uh, but between those stops, had a cup of coffee with Tampa Bay and Miami in the NFL. And during those times, he was very successful as a special teams coordinator at Rutgers, was an assistant beforehand, and then later with the Buccaneers. So there's not a whole lot of time, I think, that needs to be devoted to, to Galliano and what he's going to bring in as, as special teams coordinator. It's obviously not a, a real sexy position, but he has local ties. You know, James mentioned he, he's from Norristown, Pennsylvania. All that time spent in New Jersey, of course, is going to lend itself to helping out some with recruiting. But, you know, he, he's a guy who's got a little bit more veteran voice, particularly in comparison to a guy like Tyler Bowen, um, and, and brings a skill set and perspective that, that you don't have, honestly, right now from many other player or coaches on the staff. Did a lot of the recruiting for Greg Schiano when he was at Rutgers, and they were actually doing a pretty good job recruiting. So uh, he'll be a guy that you can get out in North Jersey and, and, and places like that. I think the the biggest thing with this is the, is the strategy that they they undertook. Uh, Galliano was a guy that we were looking to as the potential tenth coach, which is going to come into effect in January. Um, elevating one of those uh, consultants to to a full time job and getting them on the road and all that kind of stuff. With Charles Huff leaving for Mississippi State, that obviously opened up the running backs coach. So what they did, and and this is my interpretation of it, they just moved that higher up a little bit, got a guy that could get on the staff, get on the road, um, do some on-field coaching for the bowl, and then they'll sort out that 10th coach and make it a running backs coach, likely uh, you know, going to go after a stud recruiter in January. So I think it's one of those things where you know this, this is sort of a Band-Aid hire, but at the same time, it's probably the direction that they were going to in January anyway. So uh, bringing him on staff, 
I'm not sure what he does as an assistant defensive line coach because Sean Spencer is so active, but it's really going to, uh, I think, impact the special teams, the continuity in the special teams. Glad you brought up Charles Hoff because I don't want anyone to think that we forgot about his departure, special teams coordinator, running backs coach, obviously one of the best recruiters, not only in the staff, uh, but right now in the country as we has have him ranked on 24-7 sports. So let's pen a uh, verbal uh, goodbye letter to Charles. And then one of the mailbag questions, a little sneak preview, uh, asked about who will replace him, which we'll get to later. But for now, I mean, very short, what did he bring for his time at Penn State and what are they going to miss most? Really good stint for Charles Huff, who's a young guy. He was the youngest guy on the staff. So you always had the sense that he was going to move on at some point. I think he's going to be a head coach at some point down the line. Um, so, you know, it, it was a it was a, a step up for him. I mean, I, I think he was hired yes. it, it, when, it, when it came out that he was hired as a co-offensive coordinator. It kind of shook, you know, he shook your head and said, well, what's going on there? I guess his official job title really doesn't have that anymore. But uh, assistant head coach, he's going to get a pay grade. Uh, he's going to go up a pay grade. He's going to do a lot more. I guess with the offense. So, um, you know, Charles was very impactful as a recruiter over the last couple of years with Saquon Barkley leaving. I don't think his stock would have gotten any higher. So I'm not sure even if Moorhead sticks around that Charles Huff is at Penn state next year, regardless. So right. uh, I think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, he's a young guy, he's well into his, uh, into the advancement of his career. So, you know, you just tip your hat to him and say, hey, good luck at the next spot. Cause he, he did a lot of good things and, and the special teams was definitely the, the big thing for me. He does want to be a head coach, told me as much uh, back during their bye week. And I think, again, this is a step in that direction. Not only just you look at the SEC name and the brand, he's done it at Penn State and he goes, okay, well, you're just kind of following along with the staff that Franklin brought. But to go to a different place and to have that competition, of course, they have in the SEC West, which, you know, you, you make some comparisons to Big Ten East. But again, you, you want to look at the playoff right now. And two teams from the SEC made it. Zero teams from the Big Ten uh, did. So there, there's a step up for him. There's a greater role, obviously a bigger payday. It's a good move for him, not only just career-wise and where he wants to go, but I think right now in the interim, uh, it's an upgrade for him. And that's a good roster down there. So they're going to be competing right off the bat with, with Joe at the helm and, and Charles right behind him. Uh, recruiting, you know, we touched upon it with Galliano, obviously what they're going to miss from Charles. Some news, Ishim Young charged with robbing a Wawa back in July. Um, the charges were brought just a couple of days ago. He is no longer a commit. We've had stuff up on the site about this, some VIP content. You know, obviously there's an element of this that you want to look ahead. For me, this is also the second four-star commit to be let go given serious off-field issues. The other one was Dorian Hardy, defensive end out of New Jersey. So we've talked about potential replacements. The names are still familiar. What else, though, outside of what I've said and what's already been on the site has been missed from this situation? Well, I think, number one, you know, Penn State was kind of blindsided by this. It dropped last Friday afternoon, and actually, you know, the people on our message board knew before the Penn State staff. So that was kind of one thing that they had to do their due diligence. They had to see, you know, whether it was a case of mistaken identity or whatnot. He did not play in his playoff game on Friday. He was cooperating with police and I believe confessed. So, you know, once that happens, it's it, it's gone. The thing that I look to, Penn State has been able to move on from guys and, and, you know, mutually parting ways, I guess, is the way you could put it. They did it with Ashim Young. They did it with Dorian Hardy. They've done it with Miles Hartsfield, Christian Cologne. You know, they, they've done it with several guys. And, you know, I think that that's really going to help because you don't want to find out about this, you know, six months after they sign or when they on campus for a year or so. So um, as unfortunate as the situation is, Penn State really didn't have a choice in the matter. I mean, it, it was one thing. Going back to it, Ashim Young robbed a Wawa two weeks after he committed to Penn State. Which, number one, we've never been in a situation like he is coming from Philly, but that's poor decision making on that part. He was sort of, you know, just 
with a revolver too. Yeah, I think with a, a, a yeah a armed robbery, yeah. no joke, no doubt. He was in the clear. I mean, police just identified him this week, and that's why it all came. Uh, you know, it, it was one thing. I'm sure they were. It was an ongoing investigation, but that's why Penn State was blindsided by it. And it's not like they took him knowing that you know he was a, an armed criminal or anything like that. So, I mean, it's just an unfortunate situation all around. Um, coming from the the environment that he came from in Philly. Uh, is really tough to get out of. He was so close to getting out, and and now you don't know that he's ever going to do so. Um, it's a hit to Penn State's class, and you know this is probably the less serious part of it. Yes, Penn State will bring in Isaiah Humphreys as an early enrollee in January. Um, safety is a spot where they, you know, they're going to have to replace a couple of people uh, in Marcus Allen and Troy Apke after the season. But um, does it have an impact immediately? Yes and no. Ashim Young was a very talented football player, a guy that could come in. You know, he's fairly physically developed already, so could have made an early impact. But uh, yeah, I mean, Penn State's going to have to work around it. A guy that we highlighted on the site this week, Jonathan Sutherland, uh, redshirt freshman to be, is a guy that Penn State's very high on. I could see him stepping into the two deep in the spring and then really making an impact on special teams and beyond that uh, moving forward. So that's one thing, I guess, a silver lining you could take out of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, Penn State's going to have to move on. Does it impact... uh, uh, the safety position in this class, I'm not sure that it does. I, I don't think it's as simple as going to Quantel Reigns and saying, hey, we have a spot for you now where we didn't have it two months ago. Right. You look at the targets. Since now have, West Virginia, of course. Yeah, he's, he's, he's committed to West Virginia. Um, it's, 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 it's not as simple as that. You've got targets on the board. You've got Tyreek Smith on the board. You've got Micah Parsons and Rasheed Walker all coming in this weekend for official visits. Jason Awe is, is on the board as well. Solomon Enos, Tyler Fry. So plenty of names still on that board. I mean, you get another scholarship, yes, but at the same time, I mean, you don't have to earmark that for safety. It's not a one-to-one deal. So. Right, and that's kind of been the whole deal as we look at these defensive ends, too, because you would just look at the quality of the talent and just say, listen, like, you know, beyond balancing the board positionally, you want to get the best players available. And right now, there's a collection of, of targets that they're in very good standing with who all play defensive end. You're not going to pass that up, particularly considering the state of Penn State's pass rush. So it might miss one safety, but you can make up for one safety, not only just with a better pass rush, but with numbers later on in other classes or transfers or any number of different um, methods. Yeah, and, and seeing as how this staff can cross-train guys, Michael Parsons can play linebacker. Tyreek Smith may be a three technique at the end of the day. Uh, Jason Alway probably isn't going to play for two years because he's so raw. So uh, you've got ways to get around that. Um, I just think the talent in, in terms of what they're looking for right now is is top-heavy at def- on the defensive line. Then you move on to guys like Walker and Enos and then maybe float around to Tyler Friday in January if he's still on the board. And, and there's some other names. We talked about Houston Griffith this week. We've talked about Reigns and a couple of other guys that we highlighted. So Penn State has options. I mean, you look at where Penn State has tried to fill out classes in the past, and they've they've reached for some guys, no doubt about it. This this time around, I don't see them reaching. And if they reach, it's going to be you know a high three star, low four star guy. All right. Uh, any more stars before we hit the mailbag? Any more stars? Oh, we found the worst person in the world this week. Speaking oh, of stars, yeah, yeah. our first four star rating on iTunes. Oh, I just uh, you disgusted. sir are getting coal in your stockings. <laughs> yes, you are. If not from Santa, I will be coming to your house and doing that myself. <laughs> it was a good run. Uh, you know, it was, we're like Goldberg; we had to end at some point. But uh, no, I mean it's uh, it's cool. Keep going on there, rating us on iTunes, listening to us. We had uh, you know great numbers. It. Yeah, we had great numbers for our emergency podcast last week with the offensive coordinator position opening up. So. 
uh, we're going to be, you know, working with our schedule and we'll talk about it on the Twitter page because I don't think we've quite, kind of hammered out when we're coming back. But through the holiday, we're, you know, obviously Andrew is going to travel. I'm going to travel and stuff like that. So we'll work it out. And we'll get a schedule for you here soon. Right. You won't miss anything, whether it's, you know, the early signing period or, or more preparation for the Fiesta Bowl. We'll be all over it. Uh, but we already gave the sneak previews. So let's jump into it right now. First mailbag question. Any ideas on who the new running backs coach might be? I'm sick of coaching searches already. So <laughs> Wow. And we've but, really not had an exhaustive one so far. I mean, that offensive coordinator position was open for, what, a week? Yeah. I don't think that there's going to be too many guys that are just kind of automatics. I mean, Charles Huff was a guy that really came out of nowhere. He worked with Vandy for one year, um, I believe, as a, you know, as a quality control guy or something like that. So it's going to be a recruiter. It's going to be a guy that can go into the DMV and like Charles Huff did and, and have an impact on those guys. Um, you know, of course, Ricky Slade wants to see what's going on. Guys like Chris Ty- Tyree in the 2020 class. There I go cracking again. Uh, are going to want to develop, see, man. Yeah. <laughs> are going to want to see who, who that guy is in terms of names. I think it's, it's probably too early because you, you know, you can't move on until January and you know, Penn state's just got to, you know, instill the faith that it's going to be somebody that uh, Ricky Slade can deal with. And I think it was funny. I think, Ricky Slade's uh, dad said, I hope they still want us. And Ricky Slade's a borderline five-star. They're going to want him. (laughs) Anybody's going to want him. So except Mississippi Mississippi State, who's not going to go after those guys, which is, uh, you know, a credit to Moorhead and Huff and those guys. Right. I think kind of a tip of the hat and understanding where they, where they're at and everything they've, they've done to get them to Penn State and the coaches they used to work with. So um, moving, I think I'm with you in terms of running back. The other part about the coaching search to to understand is that obviously you're going to throw out names as we did last week, you know, with the offensive coordinator. Who could step in for Joe Moorhead? And, and the basis of that, of course, is these choices have to make sense. What would the sense, you know, drive from? It's going to be previous experience with Franklin, you know, success that they've had separate from him, guys who have been with the system. So right now, I think when you look at the running backs coach, you know, who has worked with James, who is a solid recruiter, you're going to come up with so many names that the exercise of throwing out those names out there is almost useless because the only sense that this position has to make or the candidates you know, have to make to is to James. Like The only sense, it just has to be his choice and his head and his decision. And right now, of course, he's the only person, save for those you know, close to him or, or within the administration, that really know that. So we could throw out a, a lot of names, um, and it could be someone totally off the board, or it could be the one name that, you know, like with Ricky Ronnie, was right at the top. Right, so, it's obvious. Yeah, and it, and it's there's agency. no obvious candidate right there. Too. It's agent season, so you know we put up a few names last week, and, and and ones that I said, man, this guy would be a horrible fit. But you know they're they're vetting agents, and you've got guys who overlap with Franklin and stuff like that. So you, you'll see names come out that that may make sense, that may not make sense. And at the end of the day, I think it, the the qualifications are going to make the candidate, and we're going to see somebody that fits into somebody that, into a similar role with Charles Huffton. Yep. All right. Uh, down to negative town, where we find the men's basketball team. 64-63 loss. Uh, Reader wants to know what is going on with this team. And it's a fair question. They've lost two out of three. They just played three games in six days. The first loss was to NC State on the road, a, a game that they really had no business losing because the Wolfpack were down a couple of key contributors. It was a game that Penn State was favored in and really outclassed them from a talent perspective. But they slept walk through a lot of that. They have difficulties with Wisconsin, which is this is not your Daz Wisconsin team. I mean, Ethan Happ came back, but that's a team that lost two-thirds of its scoring. Right. And, and right now, they're just not getting the best out of their key players because Lamar Stevens had four points the other night against Wisconsin, early foul trouble 
people couldn't get going. Mike Watkins was outstanding. Tony Carr was struggling from the field. But they, they don't have that consistency, which is, of course, lose everyone in college sports. But at this stage, they can't, they're not good enough to afford Lamar to, and Tony not to have their best games alongside of Mike Watkins. I mean, they need to get at least average performances from those guys. And the bench has also been a huge issue. Yeah. One combined point from the bench in their last two games, I don't care who you are, but particularly not a team that doesn't have a starting five that can go out there and dominate anyone. You can't win like That's that. That's nearly impossible to do. I mean, one point over two games from the bench, it says, it says about the depth. Um, it probably says about the confidence in some of those guys as well. Um, you know, a guy like Wheeler, you know, doesn't have to score to have an impact, but across the board, I mean, you want to go eight, nine deep, and this team simply is not doing that. Right, and you also speak to the faith. Wheeler, I mean, Tony Carr's played 39 minutes in each of the last three games, and, and part of that is you've got very key games at Iowa, now home against Wisconsin games you desperately want to win. You want your best player out there as often as possible. The problem is, you know, again, he's making plays late against Wisconsin. I just can't believe that, you know, all that travel and all those minutes didn't take a toll on him as they're going down the stretch against Badgers. Clangs at three, perhaps that was mental fatigue, perhaps there was no effect at all. But either way, that's not sustainable. So they need to let Jamari Wheeler go out there and run the point for at least five to six, maybe seven, eight minutes a night so that Tony Carr is spelled. Because they'll play the two of them together. But that doesn't help at all because Tony's still out there having to play defense, rebound, do all those things. So they've got to get more consistency out of their stars. They also need to really not run the table in the Big Ten, uh, but they need to have an outstanding showing because losing to NC State and Texas A&M robs them of non-conference wins that they're going to need because the rest of the non-conference is extremely soft. They'll get their confidence back, but then, I mean, they, they've got to outperform even high expectations in the Big Ten if they want to make the NCAA tournament. I, I like your strategy. They should run the table in the Big Ten. Pat should think about that. That'd, that'd be a good <laughs> Winning idea. is good. It'd be a Positive. good coaching move. Very yes. good step. Yeah. Um, not going to happen, but, you know, they really need to, to find themselves at their best, which they have not done so far this year. Tough team, though. Uh, give them credit. You don't come back from 17 down with 940 to go. But the fact that they were down there, you know, speaks to larger issues than one missed shot with, you know, one second left. Last question in the mailbag. Any commit uh, kids who are committed elsewhere that are likely to flip now that there's an extra spot in this class? No, I don't think the extra spot does much for committed kids. Um, you look at the guys that we've already pointed out, uh, you know, and we've said them a million times with Parsons and Smith and the defensive linemen and the offense, you know, it's just, it just can, continues to go back to that. I mean, I don't know why you would go somewhere else. And, and granted, you've got relationships with guys elsewhere, but I don't know why you would go somewhere else to find somebody when you've, when you've been tracking Rasheed Walker, you've arguably the favorite from Rasheed Walker from the start, arguably the favorite was from Solomon Enos. And, you know, you might see guys pop up and, and, a guy that they went to see earlier this week, uh, Trill Williams, all-name team, um, committed to Syracuse as sort of an under-the-radar type guy. You know, he could pop up as a safety or something like that. But, you know, you're really you're shooting as high as possible. And, and right now the uncommitted guys are just, you know, better options and, and more consistently uh, in, in in touch with the staff than any committed guys. Um, Jahan Dotson might be a guy that comes back around in January. You know, I think so much is going to change because you're going to have guys that sign with teams in December and then guys who you know are expected to be in the class that don't sign with teams in December and then all of a sudden hey those coaches can move on hey if you don't right. want to sign you're out of luck so you know will there be some new names I don't know that there'll be completely new names or anything like that um, but I, I just don't see them straying too much from the norm of what we've seen over the last couple of months how many stars is Trill Williams Trill Williams is three stars, but that's really unfortunate because he should be a six star. I mean, yes. Our tri- I was just going to say whatever that number is needs to be doubled. I don't care if it leaps off the scale. 
The man's name is Trill Williams. It's it's short for Artrillion, which is even better. Um, but now this is a kid who who blew his ACL. It's like straight two, out of the Odyssey, right I there, know, right? He he blew his ACL. He's from New York. Blew his ACL as a junior. Committed to Rutgers because he wasn't sure if anybody would keep his scholarship offer. Um, you know, schools stayed on him, so he sort of backed away from that. Ended up committing to Syracuse. Had an excellent senior season. Bounced back. Penn State wanted to get him in camp last summer, but he was committed to Syracuse and didn't want to take that risk. Um, bounced back, had a great year. He was the number one on Sports Center's top ten plays a couple of weeks ago with phenomenal catch. Um, to me, you know, if he doesn't have that knee injury, he's an easy four star guy, um, and, and I think he could still end up in that sense. But uh, you know, he's uh, he's a six two one eighty athlete. He can move. Penn State staff has liked him for a long time. So just throwing that out as a wild card. Tim Banks was there at the, at the school the other day, so he's a wild card that you could turn to as a potential committed guy. Um, he seems fairly you know happy with his Syracuse commitment but you know at the end of the day if Penn State comes calling I think he's he's probably going to listen a little bit Trill Trill Too tr- Trill <laughs> he's no Kenny Trill but you know who is really? true almost saw uh, Kenny Trill yeah. in the bowl game TCU. didn't have it yeah all the way back to the Fiesta Bowl. But. Well, this has been fun. A Fiesta unto itself back here in Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. Again, date to be determined. Hopefully, again, on a Wednesday, have some continuity for you. And then we'll do a couple of pods for the week of the early signing period. Uh, but otherwise, Penn State, Washington, can't really ask for much more. I don't think we're going to have as much news as we just broke down here for almost 40 minutes. But it should be another fun episode. And uh, we will see you all then next week. Next week.